0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us again. This is the podcast, episode 51. Um, As always, I am Steve Enders and, you know, uh, the big guy over there, Anthony. And our special guest for us tonight is James Hall, Senior Reptile Keeper at Phoenix Zoo. Uh, We're super excited to have James on with us. And uh, Anthony knows him a bit better than I do, so I'm going to let Anthony take the wheel here and give James a lengthier introduction. So how cool is this,
1: right? How cool is this? that we get to have James on he is to me everything that's right in the animal community Um, but at the same time I think that he is a great uh, illustration of what it actually means to be in the reptile reptile community in the animal community and in in the zoological community um, to actually work in that world Um, we go to the zoo and we think man I would do anything to work at this place but I think James is going to be able to tell us a little bit about what it's actually like, and he is a super positive guy. Anytime I've ever talked to him, um, he is like one in a million, and that's probably why he was able to get one of these coveted zoo spots. Um, but also, um, yeah, I just think there's a lot there that we can learn from. So um, anyway, uh, James and I first started talking when he was at the Denver Zoo. They keep the um, stud book, or they did the, the um, they did oversee the Um, Association of Zoos and Aquarium Species Survival Program uh, plan for um, Spangler Eye, the Vietnamese black-breasted leaf turtle, which everyone knows is a personal favorite of mine. And we started talking because he was keeping them there. Um, And that's another thing that we'll talk about, I'm sure, during the show because we've talked a lot about that. And uh, since then, he's moved to Phoenix Zoo. I want to talk to him about the move and uh, what it's like for him now living in some better weather. I don't know. Maybe it's debatable. Some people actually like weather like Denver. Um, so anyway, yeah, we're excited to have this conversation and, uh, James, we, we couldn't be more grateful that you're here with us tonight.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's, it's nice to be on the podcast. Uh, I've been watching it for a while now and I actually was listening to the original one on the A little bit. A little bit. oh serious. Ah, <laughs>
1: that was better. I can't hear all anything. Right. Steve is muted, so that's good. Uh, I'm
0: not sure what just happened there. Um, no idea at all. Let's rock with it. Let's rock with it. Let's... I think it might actually be on my end as the lead computer, so I'm trying to take care of that now. Terrific.
1: That's why I right. wanted a computer nerd to be in charge of things. Because if I was on the end on that end of things, then we'd all be doomed. So Steve will figure it out. That's okay. But to to put you at ease, James, I have no idea what you said. Maybe the viewers don't. We don't necessarily have to go. But um, you had said that you had watched the podcast, the the podcast before our podcast, which is really cool. Yep. Um, to think that people are that are you know working at zoos and doing really big things are watching our silly show. But you you are a, a turtle guy, right? I mean, this is something that really interests you. I mean, you have a lot of experience with a lot of exotic animals, um, far beyond what Steve uh, or myself or a lot of other turtle people can um, can say but um, you are a turtle guy, right? Can you speak to that a little bit?
2: I am a turtle guy. Um, I've been interested in in wanting to keep turtles since I was about 12 years old. Uh, I have kept numerous other things in my reptile room right now reflects it. I keep carpet pythons. I enjoy some of our native reptiles from here in Arizona, as well as alligator lizards from California. Um, But I'm working most right now on getting my... The groups of turtles that have always interested me that I can keep here set up Uh, right now. They're all indoors. I'm building my outdoor area in my backyard just because we just recently bought a home. So this will be the first spring and summer going into it. So everybody will eventually move outside. But for right now, it's all waterland tubs and, and large storage containers for everyone that I have.
1: That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm always I'm always amazed by and it. it's like a the like a reckoning, right? Like like you were born to do this and you're gonna do it re- like regardless of whether you have the job you have or not. But it always impresses me when someone can do this for a living and then you come home and you're tired and you you know you you're having your time with your family or your time away from work or whatever it is and you need to now find time to take care of your animals when you're at home after you've spent your entire week taking care of animals right can you speak to that a little bit like i always wonder what that's like um even though i work at a a veterinary hospital it's much different than what i'm doing at home so it's still an escape for me when i get home and get to spend time with the animals um and that's something that i fear that you know if you get a job like that that you're going to maybe taking care of the animals isn't going to mean as much to you anymore if that makes sense
2: Yeah, eight-hour and When I get home, I usually spend hour cleaning my own animals at home because it's it's groups that I enjoy. Um, Most of it, I on the smaller side, just for space and for what I can manage. Um, But yeah, I mean that's that's a uh, a big part of it. Is I'll I'll go. from 7 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon, it's an hour I spend an hour cleaning cages and feeding everybody, and then go be dad to my, my daughter and husband and have dinner with the family and mm-hmm. go to bed.
1: Right, right. And you still, I mean, do you ever find that it's just like a lot? Like you feel yourself doing this at home? Do you have to kind of figure out, like, make sure you have the right projects at home? Because... You don't want to be doing all the same stuff you've been doing at work all day, like the, the, the tedious chores. I mean, sometimes I really like the tedious chores, but I won't lie. Like I I've grown to like the winter here, even though it's cold and it stinks. I've grown to like it because it's a dormant time where I don't have to do as much feeding and as much cleaning up of the food after I feed that sort of stuff. Do you find that that um, there are species that maybe you want to keep, but it just it's too much like work and it feels like work? It's too much like work, like your job, and it feels like work like Yeah, overexerting yourself unnecessarily.
2: You can ask my wife if, when you come back in the next spring for the conference. Um, I get drawn in a hundred different ways because there's so many cool things out there. And there's species that I want to work with here that I know if the mm-hmm. air conditioner acts up in the house – I'm going to have nothing but problems. So I'm, I'm really trying to limit myself to species that I know will do well in this habitat, this climate, um, because I, I don't want to really battle with it. Um, if they're, if they're a lot of work, they're very specific needs. And if I can't meet them easily with my work coming home and everything else, I don't want to put them at risk. So there's species like I and Japonica that I would love to have. But because they like it a little cooler, they're a little bit wetter. I don't know if I can provide a, a good habitat for them at home. So I'm at the moment I'm leaning away from those, and maybe later on down the road, once I get things figured out in the new house and and living back in Phoenix again, I'll, I'll that plunge. But for it, its hardy Mediterranean tortoises, it's mud turtles. Uh, those are the main ones that ones that'll do well in our climate, that do well a little bit drier habitat, things that I can adjust easily versus having to battle with it and be worried about it when I'm at work.
1: Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, can you speak a little bit? I think like let me give you let me give you a prelude to it. I'm I'm going to give you a story to to. Um, work into what I wanna say and what I wanna ask about. But um, one thing that I talk about all the time, one thing that I've written about in several articles and and things like that is um, a real large battle that I had within myself when I was trying to figure out what this whole turtle thing meant for me as an adult. Like, you know, this is like a weird kid thing that I keep doing. I keep wanting to like gallivant through the ponds and swamps and keep, keep turtles and observe them and take notes and all this different stuff that other people would just kind of think was kind of weird. Um, so as, you know, a college educated person who I think, I think I like to think I'm a good person. Um, I would really struggle, uh, grapple with the whole idea of like what I was doing And um, really having some regret about what I went to school for, uh, the fact that I didn't go to school to be a biologist or zoologist, um, and really hating the fact that I couldn't go out and and really dedicate my life to something that I wanted to dedicate my life to. Um, That, you know, going to school for that sort of thing was not my journey, and I was not okay with it for a little while. So I would look at people who were working at the zoo from the outside very much the outside looking in not having friends at that time who were um zookeepers um not really having an idea of what went into it and i think there are a lot of people out there who don't know and i think you're a really good example because you have this amazing positive attitude um you're super inviting like you are like the lebron james of of zoo staff, like exactly who you want. You've got the knowledge, you've got the passion, but you're also super personable and patient and all that type of stuff. And, um, I think people don't realize what goes into it, that you almost have to be, you have to have that outgoing nature, but also be an animal person, which is a really weird, rare combination. And it's not all the glory that we think it is from the outside looking in. Like I said, you're, you're moving around the country, you're a perfect example of that. You're, you're putting your life on hold, you're making sacrifices so that you can move to whatever job is available, wherever we'll have you. Um, there's zoos everywhere, but there's not really necessarily zoos that are good for your career everywhere. Is that right? And can you speak a little bit to like your journey, where you've moved um, geographically and what that's been like for you, the challenge? I don't mean to take it in a negative place, to a negative place, but I think people really need to know kind of what that really means, what it really means to be a zookeeper and how difficult it can be sometimes to be successful.
2: Yeah, I know. I spent usually a good five years sending out resume after resume after resume, trying to get that entry level position, just get my foot in the door. Um, I would get occasional interview, but never like a second interview. Um, Not an easy field to get in. To get that starter job, you really have to stand out. Um, I came from a background with working fish stores, working in reptile shops. I worked at a vet clinic for a while. Um, I worked in a re, and I think that level of professional animal care was what got me that little bit of a, a bump in my resume that got the attention. Um, and at that point, my wife and I were living in Flagstaff, Arizona, so north of where I'm at right now. Uh, we had just had my daughter. She was maybe eight months old and I applied for a job at the Fort Worth zoo, um, in their brand new reptile building. And I I got the position, which was amazing. I mean, it, it was the chance of a lifetime, but it was a move from Arizona to the middle of Texas, packing up family, uh, Moving away from everything my wife had ever known, um, so it was a, definitely a big, big jump for us. Uh, it was a part of the country we had never, we had no idea what was going to be there. Uh, we we packed up, moved. It was once we got established, we were there for about five years, uh, learning as much as I could. Uh, it started off scrubbing to- toad tanks and the other animals in the collection that I was working with. Some I wasn't working with. Uh, Just trying to learn as much as I could. Uh, We were there, like I said, for about five and a half, almost six years. um, Decided that as much as we liked the area, we had a lot of good friends in Texas. Texas really wasn't for us. We missed the mountains. We missed kind of being up in elevation is what we like to say. Uh, A Job opened up at the Denver Zoo and I applied for it. I actually didn't get it the first round. It wasn't until they had a second opening from an individual retiring that I was able to move into that position. Um, started off there as a relief keeper, So I, I helped out weekends. I did that for about six months. I was able to move into an actual section keeper job. So I had my animals I was responsible for. Um, at that time I had the the spangler eye. That was the, a big interest of mine. Even from the beginning, I got to work with the, uh, uh Silowice Forest Turtles, the, the uh Yuanoe, which are very cool turtles. I, I actually really enjoyed working with those, but I also took care of vampire bats, I took care of fruit bats, uh tricolored squirrels. i worked with venomous my whole career, so I did a little bit of that there. Um, we were there for about two years. We absolutely love the Denver area, it was, it was beautiful really hard to get established especially on a zookeeper salary it's it you really don't expect much above minimum wage um so it's very difficult to really make a living as a zookeeper um we were able to to hang on for about two and a half years we were struggling the whole time uh trying to get a house it really wasn't working uh there's a job at at phoenix we missed the desert most of my valley here in, in phoenix so I applied, got the job. we made another multi-state move, uh, which if anybody's moved a large collection of animals across multiple states, it's never easy. Um, Stuff does not always adjust well. I will admit I have lost animals from stress from the move almost every time we've done it. It's always frustrating because you try and it it doesn't always work. Um, But yeah, we got here. We're kind of back home where we started. Uh, A little bit farther farther south and out of the mountains than than we were originally. But um, being a zookeeper is—I mean, I get to go and work with. I mean, I've I've taken care of Komodo dragons that were so used to people they would come up and and bump into you to see when. And if you didn't have a snack for them, they just toddled off and did their own thing. Uh, I used to train Indian gharial uh, five days a week, um, feeding them off of snake-ish a lot of fun a lot of experiences that some of it I really miss and it's just part of it I mean every time I I move you leave a a piece that you really enjoyed behind and you open up to new stuff I'm back home in the desert where I enjoy it Uh, on my days off I'm usually out hiking and looking for for native lizards or native turtles
1: you're so optimistic it makes me sick the worst
0: <laughs> so, I think one thing that uh, I figured I'll, I'll ask and inject in here: you talk about you know the moves and the you know the struggle because the zookeeper salary really isn't all that all that great. Um, so, what does your wife do? My
2: wife right now is the oh, what's her title? She is the supervisor of records for the Gilbert Police Department. Okay, so winner and definitely the brains of the situation. <laughs> <clears throat> Another public servant though mm. yes, yes,
1: I wondered because I mean, we're Facebook friends, and I'm not I don't stalk you or anything i I'd like I honestly have no energy for anything. I just I don't notice things that are happening right in front of me, so forgive me and and like we don't talk about this stuff all the time, like James and I are not the best of friends, but I I would be your best friend if you want to. Just think about it. It's not a, it's not a big deal. No big deal. <laughs> just, just keep it in mind. Just keep it in mind. But um, it's not like we talk all the time about this stuff. So sometimes like on the periphery, like you have Facebook friends, you see stuff that's happening. And um, I noticed, I think that when you made the move to Phoenix Zoo, which I was really feeling for you because I have these thoughts about like how difficult that is. Um, moving your family, or I think—correct me if I'm wrong—I could be wrong, viewers—that you left your family for a time. They were still in Denver when you left. Is that correct? This is just from they me. They were. Uh,
2: yeah. No. Yeah. No. It, you are correct. Um, I moved down here with the plan that we would be apart for about three months to I would get an apartment, I'd start getting established. And then the plan was when my wife got a job, we figured it'd take about that long that she would move the, the family down together. And what's funny is within two weeks of me being here, she got a job down here and was ready to move down. So we wow. moved half the house down. Uh, we were actually living with my parents in Colorado, trying to get it established up there. Uh, so we moved kind of the important stuff down with us then, and we basically camped out in a little two-bedroom apartment there in Phoenix for a year while we got all we got basically everything ready to buy our home. Uh, we drove around town a lot. We looked at home listings, kind of got an idea of what schools we wanted our daughter in, um, what homes we could afford, where we could actually afford like the home we were looking for. Um, so we we spent that year just kind of breathing from move after move getting used to the new town again getting used to new jobs and just trying to to settle (laughs) yeah (laughs) no no we're done
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing that really is amazing and i think like again your optimism and you're just being an amazing person makes it seem like that's not a big thing but that's a huge leap of faith i mean because of the of the the um job that you're in you're doing something because you love it so you think like a pro athlete like yeah they're doing it because they love it too but they're getting paid like bank right so when they get traded like nobody really feels bad that somebody has to go um you know live in denver because they're playing basketball for the nuggets but um when you're leaving and like you said, it's really difficult to make it on that salary. I mean, you are really doing this and your entire family is sacrificing because of the love for the animals and for this industry and for what it provides to young kids like your daughter, like my daughters. That is, that is really admirable. And I think that's a real big leap of faith and didn't have to go as well as it did. But something tells me that you would have been okay regardless and that your family would have been okay regardless. And that's really amazing. And I'm sorry to get off on a tangent, but like society needs more people. that care about animals. that care about teaching other people and, you know, are willing to make sacrifices for, you know, to follow their dream and to, you know, make the world a better place for others. That is just beautiful. Sorry. Off on a tangent. That's what I do. I got lost. I got lost. With,
2: With the zoo field, it's very difficult if you want to move up if you want to move into like a management role, you typically have to move out. Um, So my goal this whole time has been to kind of get to an assistant curator level so that I can still work with animals and still be part of the reptile team. But I also get the opportunity to work with the local game and fish or work with local agencies that do research that are working with native stuff or stuff around the world and get to be in both, both halves. So I get to be here in Phoenix and be a reptile keeper and help out our team, but also get to be that conservation biologist that I've always wanted to be. Um, Right now I'm a senior keeper, so I'm I'm getting close. I I would love to say I'll make it someday, but if I don't, I'm still pretty happy where I'm at. Uh, Most of my day is spent working with our native rattlesnakes, and then I come home and work with my tortoises. Um, I take care of the Aldabra tortoises at the zoo, so that's always fun. That's awesome.
1: That's awesome. And we're living vicariously through you, but at the same time, you're kind of, you know, uh, for lack of a less strong sounding word, you're struggling through a challenging, you know, a challenging situation, but, but loving every minute of it. It's the best thing ever. It's at least from the outside. Anyway, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. You're living the dream and that, that, but that's, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I don't think it's always a dream, but you're living the dream.
2: It's yeah. a struggle. It really is yeah, um, a challenge. And, so, and know, for it's, some it's, it's very worth it. Others, you know, it depends hmm. on your individual situation. Um, if you have a significant other like mine that, that gets the, the better paying jobs and we can make it work. <laughs> that's <fair>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Steve, that was funny.
0: I'm a teacher. I'm an accountant, right? I got no yeah. shot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got no shot. You're you're the you're the you're the trophy husband. You're you're just <laughs> supposed to you're just supposed to be handsome and hold her hand in public and just be handsome. That's so that's your uh, job.
0: When when she gets home from her board meeting, I'm gonna tell her you called me that and see how she reacts. <laughs> <laughs> She'll like it. She would like that. Probably will, especially yeah. coming from you. That's right. She knows.
1: <laughs> she knows that I'm serious about point zero zero one percent of the day (laughs) anyway (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) so um i i have to tell you a story too did i tell you this i don't know if i told you this i think i said it on the podcast though can you tell me steve if i told the story i'll let you know james bringing bringing my book to me did i did i say that story on the podcast
0: you might have but not necessarily mentioning
1: his head did did I say it on I the podcast? I think he did, earlier?
0: yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's I awesome. had to
1: say it, Though I had to say, just for anyone who hasn't heard it, it was the most meaningful moment to me because James and I have connected so much on this one species. And um, we. I was getting ready to speak at the TTPG conference, and I was like literally shaking, like literally. And I'm not normally like that. I'm normally a really calm dude. I don't get anxiety. I don't freak out. But like it meant a lot to me. Russ wanted me to be the first speaker, um, which was crazy enough. I didn't give it a lot of thought, and then when he when um, he talked about me going up, he um, called me the keynote, which I didn't know keynote meant first speaker. I thought keynote was like the most important speaker, which obviously it's not because I was a keynote speaker once. Uh, at Obviously, <laughs> <was like, laughs> so it can't be it can't mean that. But I'm I'm like freaking out about it. Like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Um, And I opened up the badger. I had written an article and uh, Russ and I hadn't talked about it But he pulled my article at the last minute because there weren't enough pictures, but I didn't know So I opened it up like five minutes before I was supposed to talk thinking it was gonna be there And it wasn't and my heart sank and I was already anxious and freaking out and shaking It was like the worst moment of my life And then you came around the corner and introduced yourself and asked me to sign the book and it was like the I, so it just shows you how emotionally unstable I can be I don't know if anyone <laughs> watches, watches the office but I, rem, I Michael Scott reminds me of myself because um the boss in the office you guys watch that show
0: no? I watched the first I saw like the first seven seasons or something like that okay well that's that's pretty good seven out of nine ain't bad that's what that's what I always say. Um, yeah, when he stopped, when, when he left yeah. the show, it got really awful. So I actually like
1: season eight. The next season after he left is like my favorite because Interesting. Robert California, Dave, David Spader, is that his name? Da- James Spader? David Spader, David Spade. Uh,
0: James, James Spader,
1: Spade? the guy who's on the blacklist, I think. I'm um, probably messing this all up. But anyway, he's Robert California in season eight. He's terrific. But anyway, Michael Scott, Steve Carell's character, reminds me of – myself because when something happens like externally to him when he's just sitting there and like somebody comes up and says something like his entire day can go off on this trajectory where he's like completely distracted thinking about whatever thing is like super important for that moment that or that day just because that be- he let that like creep into his brain and become the theme of the day so anyway I was down this horrible path and you came and saved me just with your friendship and um your introduction at like the perfect moment there was no way you would have known that but man do i thank you for saving my day a day that was really important to me and that i probably could have probably should have crashed and burned so thank you i owe you a lot
2: oh it was i my pleasure i wanted to make sure that i got your book signed while you were there so i went out made sure to find a copy out in the, the lobby um because I didn't know when the next chance I'd get the chance to actually meet you in person would be. Your talk was great at it. So if you were nervous up on there on the stage, it did not show while you were up there. So like I said, it was a great talk. It was great to meet you and Chris in person. Um, I have your book now on its its pedestal on my bookshelf, the signed copy. So it will stay there with the rest of my good turtle books and, uh, it's not going anywhere. So, when you come out with the second edition, I'll make sure to pick up a copy of that as well.
1: <laughs> I hope there's not a second edition. There probably could be. There's not a lot got, of
2: information there.
0: I mean, that means I'm going to have to spend hours updating those graphics, man. A
1: couple Yeah, papers. well, you got
2: Japonica to work on now.
1: That's true. That's true. There's a couple papers come out in the next 10 years. We're going to have to redo that book because it's only based on a couple papers in its entirety. So it's a very small book. I call it a pamphlet, but that's Okay. <laughs> It's, it's still very flattering. And yeah, I watched my talk the other day because Kevin put it on the YouTube channel and I was like floored with how decent it was because mm-hmm. I left it feeling like, and I think I may have said this to you too because I told everyone that I left it feeling like, oh my gosh, I bombed. This did not work out. I can't believe um, I thought that would be a good idea to talk about. And it seemed like it came up pretty well. I just, I don't know. I felt like it was so weird. I have, I'm not used to talking to a bigger group, I do a lot of talks, but I'm not used to talking to a bigger group. So it's just like the different feel. Um, Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that was awesome, and you saved me, and I will forever remember you, if for nothing else, and there will be plenty of things to remember you for and to always (laughs) be buddies with you for. But that moment really meant a lot to me.
0: That seems like a good moment for a teaser. Um, Talking about Anthony's talk from TTPG ending up on our YouTube channel, was that last week, week before?
1: Last Monday, week a week ago today.
0: Week ago today, Um, so I'm gonna tease. We're prepping Chris's talk from the TTPG to go on the channel coming up. I think uh, within the next week or two. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. We also have Michael Skipstead's talk coming up. We do. That's right. Yeah, yeah,
1: who we we had on the show in the past, the young man who went to Madagascar and is like the young phenom, the up and comer.
0: Yeah, that That one's down the road after. I think that one's after Chris's, but I think Chris
1: is next one up. That's awesome. Thanks for telling me that. I didn't know that. I I appreciate the teaser
0: because I didn't know that. I I I noticed when I hopped into the YouTube channel tonight. (laughs) Oh, cool, (laughs) cool,
1: nice. I look forward to that. And another teaser. If any of you guys have footage out there that's really good, you want to put on our channel, we'll be willing to listen to you. Just
0: saying, is that an appropriate I teaser? I don't know. if That's a teaser. It's just a plug. It's a shameless, a, shameless, <laughs> a plug. shameless plug.
1: Big difference between a teaser and a plug. James, if you ever get any good footage out there at the zoo, we can we can do that. How come well, zoos I, don't have big YouTube channels? I always, I never understand that.
2: You know, that's that's a whole other department. That's a different side of the zoo for me. Um, we. We do give talks from the zoo with our local South Mountain Education Department area, yep. um, and I've been giving talks on bugs. I'll actually be giving a turtle talk of turtles of Arizona in the Sonoran Desert here very uh, next month, two months. Um, I have to double-check the date. So we do talks. The, the other department takes care of YouTube and Facebook. I just take care of the animals. It's enough for me.
1: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a lot of work, I'm sure. I just wonder about that. And I think zoos sometimes get to be like a little bureaucratic. And um, there's obviously people who are against what zoos do, um, namely PETA and organizations like that, that don't like to see animals in captivity at all, don't understand the importance of uh, zoos for conservation and assurance and and education, which is probably the... um, biggest benefit to animals that, that zoos provide. Um, and I, I, so I get the, I get the hesitance to put yourself out there, but I just think what an amazing model it would be for a zoo to just have like a daily YouTube video, even, or like Facebook live or something where you're just like talking to a keeper who really knows their stuff. You get to choose who the keeper is, put something up there. If it's really bad, you can take it down. Hello. Everybody deletes things that they put up that are (laughs)
0: embarrassed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know once delete in quotes, (laughs) yeah. Once you post it, like, you know, if it's good enough, or if you have a big enough following, somebody will have it after you delete it, uh, after you immediately delete it. But still, I just, I just wonder about that. Do you find that sometimes it's tough, like from a keeper level to, to like come up with your own, um, initiatives uh like make things help things change for the better at the zoo um have you seen zoos because obviously you have experience at at many zoos now have you seen maybe one zoo be more uh open to creativity from the staff than others
2: um a lot of the zoos are very open to hearing staff suggestions uh like i i tell the guys I work with all the time, the idea is the cheapest part. So it's it's one thing to come up with the idea to, to do the projects and to do the enrichment. It's another if there's the budget to back it up or if there's even the time, because there are some days where you are running from time clock to time clock and you you look down, it's like, oh my gosh, it's three o'clock already. I've gotten through half of what I need to today because one thing derails you. So it's, it's a trip to, to across the zoo to help with something Um, it's, a maybe a diet that you forgot at the other side of the zoo with your other group of animals. Um, so we would all love to be able to do more and, and provide more enrichment, get new, new tools, new equipment to really up the level of care that we can provide. There's a lot of factors that go into it. So it's a tough one. Like I said, the idea is always the cheapest part. You come up with the idea, you write up the budget request. You, you hope for the best. You turn it into your curator. If it's something that we can do, I've yet to have a zoo completely squash an idea. Um, usually it's, we can't do it this budget cycle, maybe the next budget cycle. Show that initiative and a lot of time, they'll, they'll at least try to meet you halfway. And a lot of it's just putting in the, the time and effort to do it.
0: Who is your curator of your department these days?
2: The... I've got a collection manager is Ryan Zach. He just came to us from zoo Miami and the curator is drew foster.
0: Okay. Uh, Is it, is it a reptiles department or is yours combined with another group or
2: we are uh, the rep? We're just a reptile department here.
0: Yeah. I know some places combine reptiles and birds or reptiles and something else. I figured I'd ask.
2: Yeah, no, we here it's just just reptiles thing is we're we're spread around the zoo. There's not like a central building for the whole department. So we're like I said we're busy enough just taking care of our, right. our reptiles.
1: That's interesting. So the way your zoo set up, see, that's something that someone might not realize until they're either in that position or they hear from someone like yourself. So a lot of zoos have like a reptile house, a reptile building where most of the reptiles are even though some are still scattered around but you guys just basically focus on the reptiles and that's all throughout the zoo so you're bouncing from one um, from one enclosure to another tending to the animals and and taking care of what everything what needs taken care of
2: yep try to hit one area get everything you need to do done for the morning in that area move on to the next
1: wow that's wild and you guys are doing the amphibians too then
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah, We don't have many. There's there's not a whole lot of amphibians here in Arizona, and I mostly work with with our native stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But we do have some toads. We're going to get some more tree frogs on exhibit here soon. So that'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, there's there's not a lot. But I've worked with a, a lot of amphibians over the years.
1: Do you find just 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 because it popped in my head and you might not be the best person to ask this to, but I think you might have some good insight is do you find that zoos, it's like trying to keep up with the Joneses, so you need to have the right megafauna to to keep up with the other zoos, other big zoos, so that when people are in town or they're visiting Phoenix, they're going to want to go there or visiting Denver or what have you? Or do you find it's more, let's figure out a unique way to make our zoo stand out, or is it a combination of both where they're trying to walk that fine line and, and kind of do a little bit of both and, and try to appeal to both? Uh, potential visitors?
2: I think it's both. Um, You're going to see, you know, almost every zoo has elephants, has zebras, has giraffes. So there are those animals that that the public wants to see. And zoos are going to do everything to get those animals. Plus, most zoos are part of species survival plans or, you know, breeding programs similar to that. So a lot of those megafauna are all part of it. Um, They will specialize in different things um, but yeah it, it's a combination of both like we'll have similar animals to other major zoos in the country because not every zoo needs all of the elephants you just spread them around uh, I just use that as an example um, mm-hmm. but you, you'll see similar animals and then you'll see unique ones where like especially with the reptiles we have a little bit more more play area because so much of mm-hmm. our stuff lives in tiny boxes and uh, we, can, we can ask, hey, can I get this species of snake? Can I get this turtle that other zoos might not be working with, but that the keeper has a genuine interest in? And you'll see those kind of unique factors play out. That's really cool. That's really
1: cool. So the keepers can also kind of have a say in what the zoo has if they have an interest or, and or experience with something then you you have the opportunity to make a pitch for what you think would fit the collection well and the space well yeah yeah we
2: we can we can ask like hey i'm interested in working with you know temple vipers the the waggler's tree vipers um they'll fit in this tank i can set them up this way if the curator thinks they're a good fit for the collection he will pitch it to his boss and if we can do it they you know we might get some some temple vipers or we might get a The one that I'm hoping to get in the the future is the Coahuila box turtles. Uh, I'd like to to see those or try to work with some more of our natives with the uh, Soyota mud turtles just down on the border.
1: So hypothetically, if you wanted some aquatic box turtles, some Coahuila box turtles that we um, know very well, you would need to be gifted those by somebody. So when it came time to look for them, would you be reaching out to other zoos that breed them?
2: You'd start with other zoos and, and try to get in if they have offspring or get on a wait list, if they're expecting eggs um, in the hopes of getting a baby or two. Uh, and if that didn't work, you can start reaching out to the, the public sector instead. Um, most zoos prefer to work within other zoos than reaching out to the public. Has been my experience.
1: Do you can you speak to that at all? Do you remember at, in my talk at TTPG that was the question that I answered from Mark Cantos, which was really cool because it's something I think about all the time. But from your perspective, have you have you spoken to like the the higher ups at the zoos that you worked at about that and um, what that like what their hesitations might be? Because I think. A lot of times from the private sector we you know like to think that you know we're all right what's wrong with us right like why wouldn't somebody why wouldn't somebody want to work with me like i'm lovely you know i'm handsome i'm tall <laughs> i can pick things up the heavy things i can um i can snore really loud when i'm sleeping i could do everything like, i do all sorts of cool things why wouldn't they like me i'm a very interesting person but um there are hesitations, and I just I'm wondering if you could speak to that as to what you think or if you know um, some examples of of why the um, zoos don't necessarily love working with private folks all the time.
2: Um, it it's I don't know if it's so much the zoo that it kind of goes both ways. Um, a big part of it is zoos now are moving towards having documentation on where they get animals from, if they are getting them from the private sector. And that documentation is very lengthy. It is a site inspection. There's a lot that goes into it. And some some people genuinely just don't want to do it. Um, and a lot of the time, like I say, most of the animals that the zoos are really looking for, other zoos are working with. So it could just be having that wait time till you know, somebody has extra babies, uh, but, it, and it varies very much on what you're looking for. Is it a species that requires sightiest paperwork? Um, and, and, again, the, a lot of the those are above my position. So I I don't know all the details that go into it.
1: I just think it's because we suck, like, as a team. I
2: don't, I don't think it's because it, it, we suck as a team. <laughs> I think it is. No, no,
1: no. I think, not, not, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that, like we aren't honest with ourselves about who we are and i think like i say this all the time but the classified ads are like the most public account of what we do and boy if that is the most public account of who we are then we don't look very good because it makes all the animals look like they're just you know monetary bargaining chips and um it's Makes us all look like we're money hungry. We see the animals as, uh, you know, as dollar signs, and we don't necessarily always speak in a very articulate way, as you can see I'm demonstrating now. And it's just we look bad. I just think we look bad. We don't have knowledge about the animals that we're selling. We'll take money for them, but we have no backstory on them. It's it just looks very bad, and I think that's a microcosm for kind of how we do business as a whole. I say we, like I try really, really hard to fight that man. I really do. And when I um, got the turtle room into the Spengler eye stud book, I had to speak with Rick Hefner, who was he your boss at the time? He was. Yes. And he, has he retired now or is he just given up the stud book?
2: I, I don't think he's retired yet. I think he gave up the stud book. He had, I oh. mean, when I worked for him, he, I, he was a busy guy. He was sure. constantly moving around the zoo. He had a lot on his plate. And I I, I don't know how much win, how much extra work the stud book was. I've never gotten to do one. I, I want to. Uh, that's one of my my career goals is to to get a stud book and get involved at that level. Um, but yeah, he had, I think he was involved with three stud books at the time. He was super busy at the, work.
1: If I can guess, I think it was the Komodo Dragon stud. Banglerai and Ioanowai,
2: right? Those are the three that I knew of, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, wow. So basically what that means is he was coordinating the entire American population at all the zoos. So all the zoos who have these species are trying to breed them. Um, basically, those animals have a number, and then we try to take in genetic genetics and everything else and then known genetics, like relationships from one animal to another, and then basically give you a um, probabilities or, or um, recommendations for what is best suited to be bred to something else. And they'll send out this huge list, like 80 page report that talks about what in your collection should be bred to what and in the other collections and everything. And it, and it kind of, in, um, gets everyone to work together that's the that's the um ssp as opposed to just the stud book the ssp is connected to that and takes it to another level so this guy on top of being curator of like i think i don't know i get everyone's titles at different zoos confused but he was like curator of reptiles and fishes
2: maybe or something like that yep fish and reptiles and and at least one other department across the zoo so yeah. yeah he was a very busy guy
1: I'm a big fan, obviously, to be remembering this stuff as a non-zoo person.
2: Yeah, but he's doing on top of that big
1: time job and supervising people and everything else and all these different programs is is electively running those three SSPs. So yep. um, man, and that's that's wild. But I will say he had a lot of hesitation to work with us, and one of the biggest accomplishments I have had was kind of grinding at that a little bit and saying, hey. Like, no, we're really serious about this. Like, I'll do whatever you want me to do with it. Like, we just, you know, we really want to do this. We'll, we'll send our offspring to the zoos, whatever, whatever we have to do. We really want to be a part of this. Um, and eventually he gave in a little bit. And it became a really cool working relationship, being able to work with him on stuff. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And I think it's a really good example of kind of the way it should be. Almost like if you're rehoming an animal that you have in your collection, you say, hey, I'm actually going to look at who I'm going to give this to. I hate, I hate the term rehoming fee. I hate that. That is like the worst thing ever. Like, Oh, Hey, I don't want to take care of my daughter anymore. Like (laughs) give me a rehoming fee. Like what, what (laughs) just to make sure that you're going to take care of her. No, like you you can't take care of her. You don't get to decide who can take care of her based on who's going to give you money for her. That's not, you don't sell children. What's the matter with you anyway, I have to say animals are children, but just something about it seems a little icky and like, uh, not right. So to me, even if you don't know, like talk to people and put in a little bit of time, obviously Mr. Hefner was super busy. Am I pronouncing his name right? By the way? mm-hmm Hefner. Okay. It's, it's spelled differently than like Hugh Hefner. So rest in peace, Hugh Hefner. Um, so love your work. Um, so he's obviously a busy dude and didn't need to give me any time of day, but he did and he listened and he was open to that. And I think what a great example of the way things should work. He wasn't just going to say, yeah, whatever. If this guy stinks, he'll you know he'll just mess up and then I'll have an excuse to never talk to him again. He was like, no, this means something to me. I want to make sure this guy's good and I really don't feel comfortable with it. But at least I'll listen to them. And then in listening to me, it was like, okay, great. Maybe we can work together. Maybe we can reach some common ground. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, I just wanted to tell you that about your boss. I know you're just sitting there um, <laughs> listening to my long-winded stories. Um, anyway, so can you tell me what you think would be some really good, what's a really good nugget of information that you have for that 13-year-old kid, that 17-year-old kid, that 21-year-old kid who thinks that they want to have a future doing what you do, living the dream. And try not to be so optimistic. I'm just kidding. You can be optimistic if you want to.
2: Be optimistic or or, or realistic. Be Be honest. The the best thing I I can say is make sure you at least get your bachelor's degree. That will open so many doors for you get that biology degree get an ecology degree some sort of science background will make it so much easier for you um while you're doing that if your school has a lab that you can volunteer in or work in definitely take the opportunity that professional animal care is what i think a, what got me the interview and and opened the door for me to try to to show what i know um and that helps out a lot. Volunteering, so you have an idea what goes on in a zoo. Uh, if you can get an internship, that is huge to help you move forward in it. But also, keep in mind, because, like I said, it's not an easy field to get into. A few positions available, um, the the positions that are available, it is a steep hiring curve to or steep competition to be able to land one of those positions, so understand that you may have to move away from your home state. You may have to pack up, head across the country for a few years, put in three or four years, get some experience under your belt. Then you can start making your way back home if you want to. Right,
1: Slowly, one zoo at a time.
0: Yeah, one zoo at a
2: time especially
0: if your your zoo is one of those destined like your home zoo or whatever you want to call it is like one of those destination zoos like sometimes they have yeah they have sometimes they have their literally their pick of what keeper they want from like around the country and so like if that's your goal you're gonna have to kind of take a detour to get back there
2: yep yeah if you want to land san diego zoo or it's that classic everybody loves the reptile department at the san diego zoo you got to put in some effort somewhere else, really bust, butt. know what you're doing and you go ahead and apply. They may interview you. You get that opportunity to talk with them. You, they get your name in front of them, reading your resume and what you've done at that point. It's not going to hurt to to at least sit down and, and if you have that chance for an interview, chat with them, see what they're doing, ask good questions, you know, present yourself of what you're very interested in. For me, it's it's native reptiles um conservation projects that we can do in our backyard is is a big one for me um so i i made that very clear in my my interviews that that was an interest of mine i wanted to do get involved with conservation where i could as still a, a reptile keeper um it seemed to work out okay for me so far
1: so fascinating to me like in a in a in a industry that is so competitive for jobs, like what would it be like to actually interview and hire people? Because I mean, man, my experience now in veterinary hospitals and before that as a social worker, like, man, we would take anybody with a pulse if we thought that they wouldn't steal money and, you know, have relations with the clients. Um, That's pretty much all you needed to do. Uh, To get your foot in the door there but now like listen like I can't even imagine how good your interview was and they probably had other people that they could have chosen too. like that's crazy that's crazy to me Um, and it's really cool and it's also crazy to me that you can um, grow up in San Diego just to use the example of the zoo that you said and if you want to make it at, at the San Diego Zoo then it might be better to leave first.
2: Yeah, go get your experience somewhere else. You may luck out. There are keepers that land that perfect position at their home zoo and they're they're set. There wasn't much of a home zoo in, in beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona, so I kind of had to move out to to get that opportunity. Um, but it it was great. I mean, Texas has incredible wildlife. So again, native wildlife is a big draw for me. I got to go chase turtles there that I grew up. They were every bit as exotic as a Komodo dragon. I mean, I got to look at stink pot turtles in the wild, which growing up in Washington state, the base of Mount Rainier, you're not going to see a stink pot turtle. And they never make it into the, the pet shops up there. So they were every bit as exotic as a Komodo dragon to me. Um, and they've they've been a, one of my favorites ever since. That's so cool. So cool.
1: Can you speak to when, you, when we did the TTPG this year and actually when I went in 2015 as well, the field trip, or at least part of the field trip, was to World Wildlife Zoo. Is that what that zoo is called? Hmm. Okay. Across town. Yes. So, did you come? Did you come to that field trip?
2: Unfortunately, field? I couldn't. But you I had to
1: the be
0: zoo before.
2: I've actually I've never made it to that zoo yet. Oh, you're so it's me. I'm I'm sorry. I wish I could help. Um, the only other zoo I've been to here in Arizona is the Snorin Desert Museum, which now, if you've ever gotten the chance. to thing. Oh, it's, it's natives. They've done an amazing job with it. The landscape is beautiful. You're outside of Tucson enough that there's like, you could walk down the path and there's a rattlesnake because it lives there. Not because it got like, not because it lives part- in the zoo, just because yeah. it, there. it literally lives on the other side of the fence and wandered through. That's so cool. it's an amazing facility. If you ever get the chance to go. Well,
1: man. my reason for asking is I think that that zoo is a ZAA zoo. And you guys are AZA.
2: Yes, we're AZA.
1: So I'm wondering if you could speak to because I think that zoo ha- has impressed everybody when we've been there, both in terms of their enclosure design and just how wide open the zoo is, how much space there is. Maybe it's because it hasn't been like super packed when we've been there. Um, I'm not sure, but it just seems super spacious. The enclosures seem pretty good. Um, the collection seems pretty solid. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to. Kind of the ZAA versus the AZA, what those accreditations are like, and if you if can you you're you're I I honestly don't know. know? I'm sorry. Okay, Okay. I just (laughs) wonder if you ever picked that up. And then also, I'm thinking like, do you know anything? Is there any chatter about like as a zookeeper? No, I'm not going to work at the ZAA zoo. Like they're they don't pay as well, or they they're not run as well, or they're better. Like from a from a keeper's perspective. Do you know what kind of a thought is on a ZAA versus an AZA?
2: I honestly don't. I've never worked at a ZAA zoo. Um, I've been fortunate to work at AZA institutions. Um, So I don't know what the accreditation process is for a ZAA zoo. Uh, I know there's a couple different systems like that or accreditations like that now. Um, I've been through... AZA institutions, but never a a ZAA. So I don't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin, unfortunately.
1: I need to do more research on that. So I was hoping this would consider this like Facebook or the old days and like the chat forums or whatever, when I'm like, Hey, I just picked up a stink pot crossing the street and I'm going to keep that turtle in a tank. Does anyone know what I should feed it? Um, Where I have not like a lot of base information, but I just wanted to kind of start with you because I trust you. You got to face that control.
2: Thank
1: you. Yeah, I I want to go with it. Um, Yeah. So forgive my laziness on that, and I wasn't sure if that was something that you could speak to or not. But I think it's interesting, and to me, the ZAA in my little brain, and just the sense I was always trying to make of it, the ZAA zoo, that that accreditation seemed like a lower accreditation that would that would have you doing less things
0: for it. The tale of Pittsburgh Zoo and Aquarium would suggest that.
1: Okay. Like, like, so your opinion would be that that would never make it as like an AZA. Like, the well, AZA AZA. like
0: so Pittsburgh left the AZA because the AZA started instituting different ways that you were supposed to, your keepers were supposed to interact with your elephants and they didn't agree with them. And so oh. it was, so like they left the AZA and like that were able to get a ZAA accreditation because it's a much lower bar.
1: Yeah. So that was my question. So, it's, I wonder what the thought would be too on their side, why some people wouldn't want that accreditation. Maybe it's because people aren't going to give money if you're not an AZA accredited or people aren't going to come visit if you're not AZA accredited or um, maybe they don't want to do it because it's more expensive to be AZA accredited. I'm sure it is, but you know what assuming does it makes a, you know what, um, out of you and me, you know, that whole thing. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's why I was kind of interested in that. But, um, do you find that, like, when it's easy accreditation time that the big bosses walk around and tell you to clean the windex, the front of the the outside of the enclosure or something to make sure everything looks good and don't have things taped to the wall and, like, a little thing yep, that we are freaking out about? Accreditation time we go,
2: well, and, and the accreditations are every, like, five years. So a lot can happen. Things You know, you might forget you used an extension cord. You're not supposed to use an extension cord. So it's it's a lot of cleanup. We also you always want to present your your best foot forward. You want your zoo to shine. So it's it's very much like, hey, I know you're in the middle of this process. Let's get this picked up. Let's make this room look amazing, and we do our best. And a lot that's of cool. times, you, you you do great.
1: That's really cool because in both yeah,
0: of just, my uh, extension cord.
1: Well, you never know what little stuff yeah. is, is like. Something that's going to get you dinged, and if you could avoid some. Some di- usually in accreditation processes, you get dinged for something like they're going to ding you any on anything they can, but like, hopefully you don't get dinged on 30 things. You only get dinged on three things sort of thing. It's
0: like the health uh, inspection. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's based. <laughs> so that, but I was, I've always been fascinated by that because I, you know, I've gone through that in my different um, fields that I've worked in and I've always thought about what the AZA accreditation would look like, but I know there has to be silly stuff like that, like extension cords. Um, that they're just—they've got like a extension cord officer who comes and inspects all your plugs and make sure that you're not—you're <laughs> not doing what don't, you're not supposed to
2: overload those circuits, right? Um, sorry, I'm
1: sending a message. So that's really cool. Um, do you think? Are there any species that you think this? Z- the zoo has that are really interesting that a lot of people don't appreciate or that the zoo doesn't do a good enough job selling that you think?
2: I think where, where I work with most of our natives, um, a yeah. lot of people in Arizona know we have rattlesnakes. We have Gila monsters. We have desert tortoises. They don't know we've got sand snakes that are six inches long and feed on centipedes. We've got shovel nose snakes that are about the same. There's a lot of really oddball, very small species found here in Arizona that this zoo has done a phenomenal job on being able to show those to people where people can live their whole life in the valley and never see one because it's such micro habitats that they live in in the wild. And when they're up where people can see them, It's when it's a little cooler and damp. Well, most people that live in the desert don't want to be wet and cold. So they stay inside when it's cold. You don't see those species. And we've done a a phenomenal job at the zoo and they, they were knocking out of the park long before I got here with showcasing those subterranean, very tiny snake species and getting them to thrive in the zoo. Because I mean, they eat centipedes in the wild. We can usually get them over onto crickets And one of the guys I work with has done a great job on getting those species established and doing well, making a very engaging exhibit for them. I've never seen those little guys showcased anywhere else. So that was really cool when I got here to see those because I've seen them a little few times in the wild, but I've never seen one in a zoo setting.
1: That's really cool. It's really cool. We're going to play a game where Steve is gonna show us some pictures and you are going to quickly explain what's going on Uh-oh. in the pictures. Before we do though, Steve, before we do, so I'm, I'm gonna give you a second to, to get ready. But before we do, I have one more question is, you mentioned Zoo Miami, that you have like a, a new curator who came over from Zoo Miami. And I think that's that's a really cool zoo to talk about because number one, they're, they're a really big zoo with, with a really great reputation, um, like for doing some big stuff. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big zoo. Like when you mentioned, you know, the San Diego Zoo or like the Bronx Zoo always comes up in the Northeast. Like Miami Zoo is an important zoo. And obviously they're in Miami, which is like the animal capital of North America. So the exotic animal capital of North America. So like, do you see yourself being attracted to future opportunities like that? Would it have to take a certain amount of money? Are you not ready yet? Cause you just bought a house. Or do you ever see yourself making a move as big as you just made recently?
2: Um, it would take a significant <clears throat> promotion, I would say, to for me to move again. Um, I think it would take a very significant promotion to convince my wife that we want to pack up and move again. Mm. um we're We're very much back home. Uh, it, my daughter is now in fifth grade, so we're really trying to 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 be stable until at least she's ready for college. Um, get through high school, give her that stability because bouncing around, she's taking it like a champ, but it, it wears on, on kids to have to pack up and move and restart. Uh, so we definitely want to, to make it easy for her. She can walk to school now it's right down the street. We're in a very nice community right outside of, of Phoenix. So, I mean, 10 miles away, I've got a mountain park I can go hike at and about three miles away, there's actual irrigation ditches that I can't wait to look for uh, Sonoran mud turtles in, um. It's been a little cold since we moved here, so I haven't gotten the chance to go hike them yet so it would really have to be a hefty promotion um and I mean and financially a big one to make us want to pack up and move again
1: that's cool and i I, I apologize for continuing to go back to that, but it just fascinates me again as somebody on the outside looking in um and and being so interested in your lifestyle not just your lifestyle not to be creepy but like the lifestyle and um yeah i I just think people don't know this stuff and wow what a weird situation to be in where you're like having to think about that all the time yeah success professionally which is something a lot of people aspire to aspire for is something that comes with constant you know, thinking about wh- what would I do if or what might happen next, that sort of thing. And I think you've already been through a lot of it. And maybe maybe the traumatic parts of it are, are behind you, hopefully, at least until you're ready again a while from now. So that's what I was hoping to hear. But, um, yeah, that's is super interesting. So let's play the game. Ready, Steve? Okay. All right, here's the game. We're gonna we're gonna go through. We don't have to spend too much time, but I just want to hear. We'll ask questions if we think it's real interesting. But you can tell us what's going on.
2: Oh, that is a <laughs> a young Aldabra tortoise that we just got in. Uh, they will be growing up here at Phoenix. Uh, they were born at the Tulsa Zoo, if I remember correctly. I, I'd have to double check that. So there was a zoo recently that had really good success with theirs. Uh, we've got a trio on exhibit. Actually, we've got two boys, two girls on exhibit. So hopefully, in you know twenty years, they'll be be ready for being outside, and eventual maybe breeders. That's awesome. You mean like I that guy? Like there you go. Oh, that's it. That's Allie. That is our big boy. He's about six hundred and thirty pounds. He's a big Aldabra tortoise that I take care of. He is very much a gentle giant. Um, he, he loves to be scratched. He's very photogenic. When we do tours, the kids love him. Uh, he'll take carrots right out of your fingers. So when you guys come to visit next uh, TTPG, you can come meet him.
1: That sounds awesome. I want to kiss him right in the lips. Not to be weird.
2: <laughs>
1: See, as an aside, I feel like Aldabras get larger, like the large ones, the 600-pounders. They get to that 600-pound mark more often than galaps, But the largest ever was a Galapagos, so that's considered the largest tortoise. Um
2: And, and, and he's a he's the biggest Aldabra I have ever seen. The other males that have had the pleasure of, of working around were about 450 pounds. Right, and yeah. he's like a, a small boulder. So 600. He's, that, that's he's 630, 630. Yeah,
1: that's, that's almost as much as I weigh. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. That is wild though. That is really, really wild.
0: You know, after you made the kiss him on the lips comment, I was about to say in Al that ice is about the only thing that could reach up to get you on your lips.
1: That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> talk about it, talk about a spirit animal, am I right? Tortoise and I are soulmates. Can I just oh, say, I, say anything I, on this one? I just say I really appreciate the tongue out in most of the photos. It's very <laughs> Michael Jordan-esque. I like it.
2: Oh, well, thank you. So I try to send my daughter pictures of what I do at work. That's funny. That'll catch her attention. Uh, This is one of the radiated tortoises we take care of. We actually have a pair that are recommended breeders. So we're working very hard to get them breeding and get some babies. So yeah, I try to make goofy faces. I sent this one to my daughter saying that it was cold that morning. I have a, a sweatshirt on. I said that the sleepy turtle didn't want to wake up. She was very happy to see the sleepy turtle. <laughs> but yeah, I try to try to keep it as light and funny as I can.
1: That's awesome. Beautiful.
2: So that's back when I was at Fort Worth. Uh, I am target training Indian gharials. And the bump on the ground is actually connected to another 14 plus feet of male Indian gharial. And that's big boy. He is one of the animals that I genuinely miss working with every day. Uh, He was super cool. Uh, Like I said, he was 14, 15 feet long. He would come up to the target that you see in my hand there, put his nose right up to it. And then I'd give him a, a click with a clicker telling me he did a good job. And I'd bring a trout over. He'd grab the trout, sink back in the water. There was actually three other females in that exhibit with them. And you can kind of see them a little bit over on the right-hand side. They're a little bit washed out in the sunshine.
0: You can see them over there by my yep. cursor.
2: Yeah. that's they, I can see one of the noses sticking up right now. But, yeah, that's them.
0: That's so
1: cool. Wow.
0: That's also Fort Worth, I think. That that is your little brother.
2: No, that's just me a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) So at the Fort Worth Zoo, behind me is the incubation lab. So the public got to see where we kept eggs, where we had babies. We actually had a live video camera that you can see on the right-hand side where that light is. There's kind of a black tube hanging down. There's a lipstick camera on the end of that. So we would show off a lot of time it was baby uh, spider tortoises. One of the guys that was there was exceptional with getting them breeding. Um, So that's a picture of me standing at what we call the discovery hub where we would bring out an animal and let the public get up close and ask questions and and get excited about seeing something up close. I mean, that's a, a Woma from Australia. So they, they would see it in the pet trade. They may never see one really up close we would extend out our hand with the tail and let them kind of very gently touch the snakes. Um, if the snake was nervous, we'd pull it away. We'd gauge the situation very carefully. We didn't want a bad experience on their part. We didn't want the snake or other animals getting hurt on our part. Um, but yeah, that's a picture of me just hanging out when waiting for people to come up so I can tell them about snakes.
1: That's awesome. Who's the person breeding spider tortoises there?
2: Uh, he is over at the TSA now. He's the one of the keepers over there. Interesting,
1: Clinton Doe. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, okay. uh, he's one. Yep. Nathan uh, Hayslip is the is the guy that was doing it as well. Oh, Doe. Oh,
0: okay. Was the one, okay. Yeah.
1: That's so cool. See, that's what's really cool about the bouncing around a little bit too. I mean, you worked with some people who are really big in the turtle community, which is something you're interested in. So, yeah. you, you guys have that, like, you know. Brotherhood, not to be sexist. There's yeah, good, and,
0: friend, good friends of
1: ours. In there too. too. Yeah, yeah no. And, and I, I
2: learned a lot from Nathan and how he approached, especially with diets. Um, I took a lot of notes when he went from, we would get one spider tortoise egg a year to three or four from him really dialing in the diets, bringing in browse items. Um, it was, it was incredible to see what he took the group that we had at the zoo and what they'd done historically. With what they did under his care and I took a lot of notes and I've modeled a lot of what I've done after watching what he did and tried to adjust how I take care of my stuff
0: that's so cool Actually, I uh, got to be at zoo uh, this year since TSA was in Fort Worth uh, in August so yep under the Phoenix days
2: Yep, so that is, uh, we, like, we joked around that that was spa day for a, a Gila monster. She was getting a checkup. They needed to do an ultrasound. They were looking for just making sure that, that there were no bladder stones or anything of that nature. She's having a, a kind of an upset tummy, um, and that's how you restrain a Gila monster and hold it in a bathtub of warm water.
1: That's awesome. Ultrasounding a Gila monster.
2: Yep. Wow.
1: Is that a veterinarian who works at the zoo, or is that somebody who comes in the, sometimes?
2: She she is a, a veterinarian. She's one of our our uh, I think technically an intern vet. She'll be there for a year, and then she'll she'll get to move on, and we'll miss working with her. But she'll get to move on to a new area and gain new experience. So. You know, it'll, it'll be fun. Cool. It'll be sad when she moves.
1: That's really cool.
0: That's a big cricket.
2: Oh, yes. That's another one of those pictures I sent my daughter. Um, that <laughs> is a, a horse lover <laughs> grasshopper from here in Arizona. Um, so that's so a native. They're, it's native they're they're out during the spring and summer it's probably two and a half inches almost three inches it's it's a big like you said it's a big grasshopper um yeah, grasshopper is bigger than crickets so yep and now you say grasshopper i'm like okay
0: yeah
1: yeah okay in what way like okay you would do that
0: it just seems more of a, a normal size to me as a grasshopper i'm used to like our grasshoppers here are probably like two to two and a half inches long at least I've seen some here outside. So not the same species of grasshopper, I still like grasshoppers is bigger than crickets. So that's pretty yeah, awesome.
2: Yeah, they're they're a bit tougher out in the desert.
0: It looks a little more crickety than what I think of as a grasshopper, though.
2: They're more terrestrial, they're real heavy-bodied. Um, so yeah. they're they're kind of they will jump, but it's definitely not the same as some of the grasshoppers I grew up with, where they'll jump and fly like 30 feet yeah. and you're chasing them around the field. These guys are more walking around. They climb up on bushes uh, because okay. of that bright coloration. Nothing's going to eat them, so they don't have to really run away very much. Right. Mm. Wow,
1: that's really cool.
2: So this is another medical exam. Uh, what's in the tube is a rattlesnake that we were putting in, uh, because the two that we have right now are so close in weight and markings, it's really hard to tell them apart. And this is a, again, a species survival plan animal. So this is one that currently they are paired up. You can see them on exhibit. If you swing by the Arizona aviary. Um, and it was, that's, that's how I, I safely work with rattlesnakes is you get the, the first half to two thirds of the body in a plastic tube and you very gently kind of hold onto it. So they can't back up. But you that's that's the restraint method, and they got microchipped and a good vet exam. They had uh, x-rays taken and they were healthy and we put them together. We'll hopefully have babies in about nine months.
1: That's awesome. Wow. Now, what do you do during the radiograph? Are you are you letting go of the snake? Or
2: no, typically they're still in the tube, and I will be gowned up in in, in uh, the lead aprons and then i have my hands covered so i can hold on to each end of the tube and i move the snake up and down the tube to allow the vets to get pictures of the sections that they want and you do your best but yeah they'll they'll flex and twist a little bit and occasionally they they don't want to behave
1: right of course that's wild
2: And that is me out herping. So that's one of our Sonoran Mud Turtles. That one is found in a sh- kind of a stream system right along the US, uh, Arizona, Mexico border. Um, it's a population that's very healthy compared to other areas. And uh, again, it's one of those where I had to take the picture with the animal and send it to my wife and daughter to to show that I've, I'm still finding stuff out in the wild because if anybody's been field herping before, you know you spend a quite a few hours finding nothing to find one animal to, to right. get a picture of.
1: We call that our our so, Yep,
2: Exactly. Boot time is what I refer to it as. <laughs> uh, but you find them quite a bit. I always look for unique markings in the shells. If they've got a scar, if they've got a, a chip popped out of it, um, try to write it down to see if I find them again in that same area later on that year or the next year. So just my own little private, you know, survey notes
0: that's awesome wow and that's the last one
1: really cool i had fun with that game that was nice <laughs> we should play that game again steve anytime steve we have like some pictures steve didn't like it i could take a hint steve didn't enjoy james i liked your photos i apologize steve's being rude <laughs> i really liked your photos <laughs>
2: That's okay. Like I said, a lot of them were were uh, meant to be goofy and entertaining. So That's so what we it, it's it. all fun. Yep.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. for. I apologize on behalf of Steve. On behalf of Steve, this has been the podcast. He's really sorry. See you next month. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> well, it actually is about that time. I can't believe it we is were, Yeah, like an hour and 20 minutes already. So I know what uh, I'm doing. There was something else I wanted to uh, highlight before we got off tonight. Um, it's the first time we're put, throwing this out publicly, and it's going to pop out a few other places over the next few weeks. Um, I'm going to actually share my screen again here.
1: I don't even know what it is, everyone. This is this is news to me. You do. Oh, yeah, I know about that. I was wondering <laughs> if that's what it was going to be.
0: Um, the Turtle Room is, once again, looking for some volunteer staff to fill sp- very specific um, roles. Um, just to, you know, to warn everybody a heads up, like again, I, I'll, I'll emphasize the word volunteer staff. Um, we do enter, run an interview process like we, we'd hire you for a job, but nobody at the Turtle and gets paid, even me, our executive director, um, at least for now. Um, but we do have uh, four specific job titles and we're looking to probably find more than four different people um, to help uh, meet still some needs we have and to do some very specific um, jobs for us. So if you are interested, uh, please go over to theturtleroom.com slash join our team, you know, with the, you can see it with the hyphens up there. All right. And um, so we've got four different uh, titles that you can look through there. And instructions for applying are on that page as well. All right, and we're gonna be put, posting that up on Facebook and our World Turtle News, all sorts of places uh, to make sure people see that and uh, can um, you know, show their interest. If I can just say, you're
1: sitting there thinking, why would I ever wanna do that? Well, let me tell you why. Interesting question. Let's delve into that a little bit. You heard James earlier talking about trying to find things to build your resume if you wanna work in an animal related field. Even if you don't, I think it's really interesting to show that you have, um, you know, side to you where you, you know, appreciate um, a little bit of hard work, volunteerism, do something cool. Um, What a great way to show that someone trusts you with something relatively important. You're doing something for critically endangered animals. That's pretty cool. And I can say personally, I can say that the turtle room changed my life in that I was a social worker, I was burnt out in my work. Um, there was a lot of uh, parts to my job I didn't appreciate. And I found myself in a situation where I could potentially uh, make a career change. And I did, and a huge reason for me finding a job that not only was you know, a wonderful dream opp- opportunity for me, but was even a better job for my family um in terms of my ability to provide for them Uh, and it was because of the turtle room i had i had management experience through work and then i had you know animal experience through the turtle room and you know social media and writing and things like that and it really says a lot i think if you're a published author um if you have things um that you've done that are you know living testaments to your ability to get things done like an article that you've written that can be that can live forever, or at least until um, we stop paying to host our site. Uh, and so, <laughs> what a great opportunity to put yourself out there and to to show what you can what you can do. So, if you're one of those people that's out there, uh, like we were years ago, thinking, "Man, I really wish there was more that I can do," or somebody like James who's thinking, "I want to take over the world one day." What can I do to improve this resume to give me a better shot when I'm sitting in that very, you know, um, competitive interview? How can I how can I stand out against the rest? Our um,
0: um, our social media coordinator was able to land a full time gig in conservation with the Amphibian Foundation too, and partly due to the experiences she picked up through working for us as well. So
1: that's so cool. She's she's a superstar though. So she didn't need us, but it probably helped. Probably help. right? She, I'm just, I feel, I, I feel a certain way of taking credit. She would say that if she was here, but you guys know Amanda. She was a host for a while of the show, and now she works in amphibian conservation, and that's why she's too busy to do the show with us. It's amazing, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. So anyway.
0: Anyway, we'd be happy to, uh, you know, as many of you out there who would be interested, you know, pop over there, uh, theturtleroom.com slash join hyphen our hyphen team and uh, check out those four different uh, position titles. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to contact me. I'll be the point of contact for just about any of these things. Um, All right, gentlemen, any last words before we sign off for the night?
1: I just want to say thanks to James um, for, for being on, um, he's obviously seen the podcast before, but didn't know what the heck questions we were going to ask him. We're, we're relatively unorganized at times. We just like to have fun with it. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, you've been a great sport with my ZAA questions and <laughs> also a wealth of knowledge and man, I wish we could just clone you. And if you ever want to come work at the Beardsley zoo in Connecticut, I'll be your
2: best friend. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Um, if you guys ever make it to Arizona, it's an open invitation to uh, come visit the zoo. I can definitely introduce you to Allie there in the photos and uh, take you out to a couple of my turtle spots and go uh, tromp around in the mud and look for sneaky turtles with me.
0: I might try to do, hit Phoenix before I go down to Tucson in, in August, So, either before or after. So we'll, I'll uh, keep that in mind.
2: August is Whoops. the best time of year. I'll be down at that same pond uh, at least every other weekend through kind of July and August, so. Nice. Where did you say that pond was? Uh, Right along the border. Oh, if you right, don't know. You know I'm, I'm just keeping my, my secret spots. No, no it's, it's, it's right, it, like I said, it is within nice. two miles of the Mexican border.
0: That's really cool. Tucson and Phoenix. All right. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. All right, James, Thank you. for joining us. We're so glad uh, to have you on. It's good to meet you myself since I hadn't gotten to talk to you before. Really, uh, it was, was fun having you and getting to know you here.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: For Anthony and James, I'm Steve. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next month on March 4th. Have a good night.